Exodus chapter 18. And uh, we're going to preach a follow-up message. Every week I do this. I lose this thing. That little windscreen on there. All right, Exodus 18, verse 13. And we're going to preach a message this morning. Now it is kind of on, it's on leaders, which... In this context, we'll be talking about men. And, uh, and so uh, we are in a society that is trying to do away with the man. They're trying to demasculine uh, the men. Uh, they, they don't want to, the patriarchy system. You'll hear that word. We're destroying the patriarchy. Uh, we're destroying the nuclear family, which means uh, uh, man and woman married uh, and then having children. And uh, they're destroying that. And the reason they're destroying it's not because uh, we've been enlightened uh, or we've come to a sense of enlightenment because of technology. Uh, there's a devil behind this. And the devil is against anything that God is doing. The devil is against anything that God calls good. That's why he got over there in the garden. Remember, God had said that it was good. The evening and the morning, the things he created, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then all of a sudden, the devil comes strolling up into the garden one day to Eve. And after that scenario played out, which was the power of positive thinking. If you go over there and look at that, there's danger in the, in the power of positive thinking. Remember? Uh, think about that now. That's totally opposite of what you're being fed uh, on TV and all the movies. It's the power of positive thinking. No, positive thinking is what got Eve into trouble. She says, look at that tree. It's one to be desired, positive, and to be used for food, positive. You see, uh, uh, it's the power of negative thinking. Uh, The Lord said, do not, do not, don't eat negative. Oh, people don't like negative because it goes against their little psyche today. But anyway, here uh, we're going to deal with leaders. Last week, we uh, three men emerged in our message and every pastor needs uh, an Aaron. He needs a her, and he needs a Joshua. But that's not to leave the other men out. Uh, uh, there are need for other men. And the Bible here in this context calls them able men. Able men. And so let's read about this. Uh, this is where Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, shows up. And he's watching uh, what's going on, and he's kind of having a good time, a family reunion there with Moses. And uh, they're, they're eating, and they're having a good time. And then all of a sudden, Moses has to go back to work. Verse 13, we're going to catch it right here. He says, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses, his father-in-law, saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all along, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. And when they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another. And I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. 
Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mightest or mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Now you could tie that in with Acts chapter 6 and the duties of a pastor. This is very applicable, uh, and we see it show up here as God is taking a nation that has known nothing but slavery for no less than the last 400 years, and He's teaching them. They're learning their identity in Christ. They've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Exodus 12, and then God brings them out, and now He's sanctifying to Himself this peculiar people, uh, this nation of Israel. And the Bible says that they are a type of the church, and there's many things that we can learn here from what's going on, especially when you're dealing with a large group of people. And so He says, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, there's my text, able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter that they shall bring unto thee but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so. Now, you don't need to forget about that verse. Some commentators and theologians will tell you this was called the Jethro system, and it wasn't uh, of God. I got news for you. He says, don't do it unless God tells you to do it. And I got a news flash for you. God told him to do it. Uh, over there in Numbers chapter 11, God says, you bring 70 men up here along with Aaron and her, and I'm going to place some of my spirit, uh, of your spirit, on them so they can help you in this thing because you are getting wore out. I threw that in there free. I knew I couldn't avoid it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I have heard that. And, and people, they bat these things back and forth. Well, you know, I wouldn't listen to anything of that. Look, God said this was good advice. And God said, look, let's do it. And He does it. Now let's pray. And uh, let's talk about this able men. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you now. Lord, help us today. And Lord, I understand we're talking about uh, uh, doctrinal things. We're talking about uh, men and, and, and leaders and picking leaders. And, and, and we're talking about moving forward for you. But Lord, uh, it is applicable. And Lord, it, it, it'll, it'll be to help us. Now, I understand that might not give us the warm, fuzzy feeling. But Lord, it'll be truth. And it'll be something that we need. And there'll be uh, folks that are lost. Let them see the, 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 the greatness of you through the Word of God and the preaching. Lord, be with those that cannot be here this morning, that want to be here. Uh, they're, they're in the hospital or they're sick and they're down. And Lord, help them. Raise them up in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, according to... What I'm thinking here, and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to always estimate a little big, a, a little high, there's, there's roughly a couple million people here. Now, I get that by taking the, uh, the 600,000 
footmen that are men that are ready for war. And God counts the men that are ready for war between the ages of 20 and the ages of 60. Now that means uh, there was a lot of people that were under 20. Oh, and by the way, that's when God considers you to be an adult, a man, able to take care of yourself, age 20. You're like, oh, okay, well, I thought it was 18. Well, 20. Uh, the Lord counts, starts counting you. And by the way, I'll throw this in there free. If God's going to count you in a census, then he wants to be able to count on you. Well, you're like, whoa. Yeah, you got that free. That's not in the message. It's something that uh, uh, come across uh, my mind. But about 2 million people when you add women and children. And I've heard as m many as 2.5 million. I've heard a number between 1.5 million to 2.5 million. You can pick your poison on whatever that is. It's never totally spelled out. But I got news for you. It's more than 400. It's more than 500. There's a lot of people here. And, and this was a great work. God's work is a great work and God's people we learn here is a great people and the pastors and the leaders they're going to need some help the pastor can't do it all himself and so he's going to have to learn how to delegate and that's what Moses is learning here to delegate uh, uh, to the people but you just don't put anybody in that position now Jethro uh, he offers this advice about picking leaders to help carry the load. But as I said earlier, Jethro's advice hinges upon the approval of God. And that's one of the things you need to understand. Uh, maybe if, if I sit down and counsel with you, I'll, I'll try to say or try to remember to say, now look, I can't tell you what to do. But here's what I would do. But you need to take the counsel and the advice and go back before the Lord and see what God would have you to do. Uh, I offer that advice to pastors when they call and say, well, you know, I'm dealing with this. What would you do or how would you handle this? Well, this is what I would do. But this is probably what you can expect to happen because uh, I've done some of that stuff. But then I always tell them, now you take that back to God and find out what God wants you to do because it could be something different than this and this is what Jethro is doing he's saying look this is what it looks like to me uh, this is what I would do I'd begin to delegate and pick men that can help you carry this load so as we build upon last week's message helping a weary pastor uh, preached on heavy hands there was those three men that did emerge uh, Joshua not everybody can be a Joshua not everybody's going to be an Aaron, and not everybody is going to be a her. But that doesn't leave the rest of the people out. Every individual is important in the eyes of God. Uh, there's one of the things that they're learning here is their shape in Christ. I'm glad we kind of went over that this morning, Brother John. Their shape in Christ. Uh, what God and how God has made them. We all do not have the same gifts. We all do not have the same intellect. Uh, God has given us certain gifts, and He's given us those gifts to minister to one another in. Some people are good in the gifts of, of, of helps, helps gifts, uh, charity, or working things out. They, they have great uh, uh, mercy, and they have a lot of charity. But then other men uh, uh, and other people, they have uh, gifts in leadership or gifts uh, of discernment. 
being able to discern the times uh, and be able to see the direction that God needs to take his people and they're there and that's what he's talking about here being able to pick able men throughout history God has chosen and used able men God does not use unfaithful or unable men. You can mark that down. God is only interested in using faithful men. Uh, you study this Bible, and any man that God picks to lead or to do something was always a man that when God showed up, he found that man busy. Moses keeping his father-in-law's sheep. Elisha plowing with a yoke of oxen. Micah a picker of sycamore fruit, and a herdsman. There is no shame in holding down a job or having a work to do. Matter of fact, God's not going to pick a bum. And when you get saved, uh, there should be something down inside of you that uh, God enlightens you and gives you a little initiative uh, and gives you a work. Now, we're all not going to dig ditches. We're all not going to lay bricks. We're not all going to clean barns and, and raise crops and, and flocks. But there should be something. There should be some type of a work that you can do to make a living, to busy yourself if you want to be used to God. God uses faithful men, not unfaithful men. God did not choose angels. Even though he could have, have you ever thought about that? It could be an angel standing in front of you this morning from heaven to give you the message from God, but that's not how God chose it. Now I could pull some verses out, make you think I might be an angel. I mean, I can make that argument from the Word of God, but that might be handling the Word of God deceitfully. Maybe. And I don't know if I can get it flown over most of y'all's head. Y'all are too smart for that stuff anymore. <laughs> and that's that part of that problem. As you grow in Christ, as you mature in Christ, uh, i got to step up my game. I can't just get that stuff over anymore. Uh, I think it was Sister Kayla. And they're working this morning. I had made that comment about it's not an all-day buffet over there about that Sakura Chinese buffet. And they went drove by that. Yeah, we're over there. And they said, that's exactly what it said. Man, I just can't get that stuff squeaked by anymore. It's not all day buffet. It's all you can eat. Not all day. It's, that's what it is. And that's not what they meant. Well, we understand that. <laughs> but that's what it said. <laughs> As I understand. <laughs> Able men. God didn't choose angels. God chooses and uses able men in the work of the ministry. Able men are made by God, but recognized by men. Over there in Acts chapter 6, the apostle says, you choose you out, seven men. And then they told them what they need to be looking for. Able men are made by God, but recognized by men. Able men have three distinct qualities, which I mentioned last week. They're, they will always be faithful, they will be available, and above all, they will be teachable. I know sometimes when you think about an able man, or, but I'm just, you know, I'm just not, I don't know enough, or I need to, I need to have more education. That's not what 
is talking about. That's not what God puts a value on. But are you teachable? Or is God able to sit you down? And are you be able to learn from the Word of God? Are you able to sit under a pastor and a mentor and just to learn from the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit of God guide you? Are you teachable? I've dealt with men that were not teachable. Whether it be on a job site, as a plaster, you cannot teach somebody whose cup is too full. You can't. You can't. I've seen it in a dojo. You try to teach somebody something, and they always know something a little more than you do. You can't teach them anything. God puts a high value on being teachable. Not all of us know it all. But He puts a high value on faithful. I got news for you. At the judgment seat of Christ, and I teach on it from time to time, it's about time to teach on it again, what God's going to be looking at. And He's going to be looking at motives. And we're thinking, well, you know, we're not doing great things for God, and so I'm not going to get a big reward. I got news for you. If you just be faithful to what God has told you to do, He said, how would I know that? You've got to be in the book. But it'll start by being faithful to the house of God because it's the body of Christ. Then be available. That means you're going to make yourself available to be used to help when you come in to mingle with the body of Christ that you're there to minister or be in a position mentally and physically to minister to others. I dare say if one of us had uh, maybe cut ourselves or, 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 or a scratch or something that, that, that Brother Joe or Sister Amy, because of their uh, gifts that God has allowed them to work with, they'd be able to minister to that need, wouldn't they? They sure would. That's what the Lord's talking about here. Being available and, of course, being teachable. Uh, able men, now you need to get this. We're talking about working as a team. They must have the same heart and the same vision that God has put upon the pastor. Amen. This is important. Without it, there would be no agreement among the leadership, which would result in disaster. A lot of churches, that's what happens. The leadership uh, goes against the pastor. And I got news for you. You know me. I'm deaf on deacons. It's not that I don't like deacons. I like deacons. The problem is most deacons don't know what their position is in Christ and in the body of Christ. They think that they are to lord it over the pastor. And that's what keeps the pastor from being a lord. You won't find that in this Bible. Deacons are table waiters what they are. You say, oh, I thought deacons run the church. Chapter and verse on that, please. I'm still looking, handling the Word of God for about 40 years. That's not there. Deacons are table waiters, and they're responsible for three tables in the Word of God. I don't know why I'm on deacons, but uh, it, we, let's go across it because the Holy Spirit's run it through my mind. They take care of the widow's table. We have a widow's ministry now. We have three widows in the church. They take care of the pastor's table. And they take care of the Lord's table. That's the three tables. Say, so, well, I thought the deacons were to run the church, the daily runnings of the church. Well, they can help, but not over the pastor. 
Not in a New Testament Bible-believing church, they don't. And so the leadership must be on the same page with the pastor, just like this leadership was going to have to be on the same page with Moses. There is nothing that is successful in this world unless it has proper structure. Proper structure. That means it's going to have to have leadership. The proper leadership, authority, structure, chain of command. If you want it to be successful, that's how it's going to have to be set up. Able men are men who have made the choice to be faithful and available and teachable. Now, I need to throw this in here. Now, this doesn't hinge upon how you were raised. I want to put that to you. Because a lot of people say, well, I just wasn't raised right. And I had a terrible upbringing. I had a terrible childhood. And you know what? The longer I pastor, some of y'all have had to deal with some things. I can, I, I've never even thought about stuff like that. Yet the, the abuse that you've been through and what has happened to you and, and, and how your parents might have treated you or deserted you, I cannot relate to that. I had two loving parents. I still have two loving parents who nourished us and cherished us and raised us and loved us. And I'll say this so mom and dad don't hear. They really didn't like kids. They're not kid people. But boy, they sure didn't short us on love and nurturing. So some of what some of you folks tell me and have had to put up with, I can't relate. And I've heard some horror stories. But I need to throw this in here, men. It doesn't matter about how you was raised. What's going to matter is if you've been born again and you get in the book and that you make yourself faithful and available and teachable. There's plenty of people that have been raised bad who later did great things in life. I'm talking about don't, be a, don't, don't fall for victimhood. All right, you're in control uh, of, of your own faculties here. I understand what's happened to you in the past. I understand there's probably been bad things happened to you that I cannot relate to, but that should not dictate what you can do for God in the future. Let me give you a couple examples. I, the Lord, I think, put this on my heart because I was just going to go on and just make this statement. But the Lord says, no, I think you need to give three examples of this. How about Abraham Lincoln? He grew up in a farmhouse raised by an unpredictable mother. Battled from one failure to another, and he's arguably the most popular, influential American president ever. How about Ben Carson? Raised by an illiterate single mom in, both in the Baltimore projects, he overcame failures and anger to become the greatest neurosurgeon the world has ever seen. How about Daniel? Daniel, who lived during the conquest of his homeland by the Babylonians, was taken as a slave, made a eunuch. He rose to great prominence and was used mightily by God. Don't tell me that something that's happened in your past is keeping you from being an able man today. And so we see three things here. What sets this man or an able man, or a man 
what sets him on the path to become an able man? Number one, he's going to have to have the right mentality. The right mentality. Look with me in verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God. That's dealing with your mentality. I told you I'd work that in there, sister. <laughs> mentality, motive, and motivation. Brother Dr. Bob Sanders, uh, when he preached at the Preacher's Fellowship. And so I, I tried to stay away from it, but it's here. It shows up right here. And if it doesn't, well, I see it. <laughs> Such as fear God. Now that takes a, a mentality. You can't be an atheist. You can't be an agnostic. You're going to fear God. Here's what the Bible says. You're going to be a saved man. He's talking about a believer. It's going to be a clean living man. Because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. That means it's going to be a man because he fears God. He's got the right mentality. Not only is he saved, not only is he a clean living man, he loves wisdom and he has a good understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. Amen. It'll be a man that hates evil and pride. We're talking about mentality. Oh, well, I just love everything. You don't have the mentality it takes. You can take this and you can find out why nations and churches fall into apostasy because people are picking leaders based on how much money they got in the bank and what they can do instead of having the right mentality for God. This country has went by the wayside because of people with the wrong mentality. They don't even fear God anymore. The fear of God. It's important. You say, well, that brings a man into a religious state of mind. Yeah, amen. That lines him up with the Word of God. This country was founded on that principle. It's the devil's crowd that's trying to kick it out. A man that hates evil. The fear of the Lord. I, I love the Bible. The fear of the Lord. What's the fear of the Lord? Well, the fear of the Lord is, he's going to tell you what it is, to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way. That's what the fear of God means. That's what Jethro's telling Moses. This is what God later approves. He says, yes, you can't just pick anybody to help you make the right kind of judgment. Number one, they're going to have to have the right mentality for judgment. They, <laughs> I have to. They would definitely know if you asked them what was a woman, they would know. <laughs> I'm telling you, have you ever watched some of that mess? Well, what is a woman? Well, <laughs> It's however you want to identify. Well, then why are we even talking about women's rights then if you don't know? It's demonic. It's demonic. It has more to do with the devil than anything. That'll be men that's got the right mentality. You know, that's got that old school mentality as you go driving out through the countryside. Uh, hey, I, oh, those are cows. No, son, that's a bull. Oh, no. Yes. And you know how that ends. You learn how to tell the males from the females. I mean, simple. Simple. But it's somebody that fears God and understands how God made things. 
A woman is different than a man <laughs> on all levels. They don't think like men, act like men, <laughs> smell like men. <laughs> they can do things men can't. But God still says, I'm not putting them in charge. They'll rule the world. They'll be running heaven. Can't do that. The men. Behind every good man's a good woman. I'm not being mean on ladies. But the right mentality would be able to tell the difference if you see where I'm going with that. But then he says, men of truth. Yeah, amen. That's his motive. Men of truth, motive. He's going to judge whether it's truthful or false. Men of truth, men of the book, men who study the truth. What's the Bible say in John 17, 17? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I would want you uh, to handle the Word of God. Uh, be in depth into the Word of God. That's where truth's at. I'm careful with truth from outside sources. And the older I get, the more I'm learning that what sometimes what people call truth is skewed. Or it has a, 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 a different context. But you'll never have to worry about that with the Word of God. Men of truth. Men of truth. Men of sanctification. That's right. They've been set aside for the work of God and the way of God and the people of God. They're going to stand for truth. What's your Bible say in Ephesians 6, 14? Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. That's their motive. It's about truth. The Word of God. Men of commandments. Yeah, it's not how I feel about it. We're living in that generation where emotion and how you feel about it overrides facts and science or law. Not with an able man. An able man says, I don't care how I feel about it. Two plus two is four. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I understand that a, a, a pie might be cut in eight pieces, but I feel like cutting it in two and we'll call it eight. <laughs> and I've had one eighth of a, of a piece. No, that's, that's that, that new math. You got to be careful of that stuff. <laughs> it's always about food with me. And I want the bigger piece. And if I ever come to your house and there's steaks on the table, I want the biggest one. <laughs> it's just the way I roll. Even if, the, uh, even if the small one tastes better, I want the bigger one. It's bigger is better. I got, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's like, uh, men of truth, yeah. Men that love the commandments of God. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Say, why do you think he said that? Because we're coming up on chapter 20 where God begins to teach them his law. And he's going to need men that are in leadership, that are able men, that are going to be able to say, you know what? <laughs> this is what the law is now. And we got to follow that, not how you feel. But he has one more thing, and I'm hurrying. Hating covetousness. Now that's their motivation. They're going to have to have the right motivation. 
Boy, that verse just jumped in my mind over there in Peter, talking about pastors who are supposed to be leaders and mentors, but they shouldn't be motivated by filthy lucre's sake. Let me break that down to you. There's a lot of pastors that use churches as stepping stones. And they'll cut their teeth on a little church that sacrifices everything to try to keep them there and to help them. And then that pastor, the only thing he's doing is waiting till the next better church comes along that's going to offer him more to be their pastor. And he's gone. Now, in my mind... I can't seem to get away from that. That would be, that pastor's motivation would be filthy lucre's sake. I got news for you. It'd be a whole lot better to have to work a job and pastor the church God wants you to pastor than to be using churches as stepping stones for filthy lucre's sake. I don't think God will bless that. I'm not saying God doesn't move pastors. I'm a pastor. I was raised in a home with a pastor. I've heard a lot of pastors talk. And I know how the snow blows on this. I've heard it out of the mouth of one pastor. Well, yeah, if another church comes along that'll offer me more money, I'm gone. That's the will of God for me. I don't think so. That's the wrong motivation. It's a filthy lucre motivation based upon a covetous problem. Now, I'm not saying a pastor ought to be dirt poor, take a vow of poverty, and live from, you know, hand to mouth. But that shouldn't be his motivation. It shouldn't get quiet in here about that. Y'all should be saying, yeah, amen, that's right. Amen, that's right. They won't take bribes. I've been offered a bribe a number of times since I've been a pastor in this church. Not, not with any of you in years gone by. I remember them taking me and Jen to a store, a big fancy store that says you can have anything in here. Pick it out. You say, what was that? Oh, that was a bribe. Somebody trying to buy somebody. Pick it out. We don't care what it is. Money's no option. Pick it out. Wow. See, that's the wrong motivation. They don't worship idols. That's right. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You see that? That's why he says, an able man is a man who hates covetousness. See, covetousness, when you're controlled, that's what motivates you. Oh, I want more, so I got to make more. And I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I'm on pastors. So I got to go where there more is. That's idolatry. It's a sin. And that's not an able man. This is what God is looking for. This is what an able man is. Who's a man that has the right mentality. A man who has the right motive. Truth. And a man 
who has the right motivation, meaning he hates covetousness. That's what it'll take. And I was thinking about this because I wanted to put this out there in such a way that this is attainable for every man sitting in here this morning. There's not something here that you've got to have a certain IQ. There's not something here that says you've got to have a certain education or you can't be a leader. Every man can make the choice. To, it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. You can be an able man this morning. Faithful, available, teachable. You're going to need the right mentality, which is a godly mentality, the fear of God. God comes first. You need the right motive. Truth should be a motive. But you'll need the right motivation. Hating covetousness. It's not always about the money. Sometimes truth comes as a, at a cost. <laughs> Just because you're Christian saved doesn't mean you're always going to be wealthy. Hating covetousness, that's something that every man here can do to step up for God as we continue to move forward we will need able men as we grow and God makes able men that will be recognizable by the people you've heard this statement cream always rises to the top well but that's what God's looking for. That's what I'll be looking for as we move forward that are able men. I believe we have able men. I do. I do believe that. I believe that we can have more able men. And you have the tools right now with you. God's already given them to you to be faithful, available, teachable. The right mentality, the right motive, and the right motivation. Let's all stand this morning.